You're listening to The Multiplier Effect, an Endeavor podcast. Let's take all the features and aspects of a B2B engagement. And why wouldn't a supplier be able to come into Plum, go to that marketplace and say, I want to self-educate and self-select, click, click, go to cart. And within hours, I have ratings review on my site. As opposed to click, get an interview, talk to a salesperson, two, three weeks later, execute. Welcome back to an all new episode of The Multiplier Effect. You're listening to season four. And in this season, we are focused on rethinking supply chain. We are so excited to be welcoming Rick West to the show today. Rick is one of the incredible co-founders and CEO of Field Agent. Since 2010, Field Agent has been on a mission to change how the world collects business information and insights. They crowdsource smartphones worldwide to provide best-in-class audits, insights, product reviews, on-demand sales, and more. And fun fact, they became the first Endeavor entrepreneurs in Northwest Arkansas in 2019. And we are so privileged to have them as part of our network. So let's kick things off with Rick. Rick, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, Jessica, it is my pleasure. Excited to be here today. And thank you for the intro. Well, Rick, tell us a little bit about your background and how this really led you to launching Field Agent. For those of you that maybe are listening in that don't know anything about Field Agent. Yeah. So I want to take you back. I'm one of those uh, corporate people uh, that did have a real corporate job at some point in time. And after about 17 years with Procter & Gamble, some time in Asia, in the U.S., uh, really wanted to do something on my own, got together with a couple of co-founders, and uh, we started a shopper marketing, shopper research firm here in Northwest Arkansas. And if you fast forward like five LLCs and two or three startups later, uh, we started this thing called Field Agent in the pre-selfie days. Now, mm-hmm. Jessica, I want you to think about your very first smartphone. Yes. Okay. No front-facing camera, no video iPhone 3S back in those days. And we really wanted to use the new technology that was out for our marketing and research company. That's really what we were driving. And then once we got involved in it, and all entrepreneurs that have started a company get this, we started using the product ourselves and thought, wow, I think we can make this thing scale. This is something we can really get behind. So you fast forward 12 years and you go from this First app on iTunes that paid cash mm-hmm. uh, to using geolocation data, metadata to bring in information uh, to going from quantitative data, qualitative to marketing, re- you know, ratings and reviews to this. Now this launching of this plum marketplace that now allows us to have original thesis, which is how do you solve problems at retail? And right. we go from crowdsourcing some of those solutions now to a much broader conversation. And that's kind of my 20 year overnight success uh, Evan, as an entrepreneur. I love it. And I, I love the field agent story because you've constantly been innovating and evaluating how there's opportunities to really expand that portfolio of services and resources to retailers. So really fascinating story, really fun to follow. And for context for our audience tuning in, Rick published an ecosystem predictions article as part of our annual ecosystem predictions report, highlighting the core theme of less is more. And Rick, you shared a few trends you anticipate would follow the star year of the pandemic in 2020. You're going to hold me accountable. This is yeah. This is this is the moment of accountability, <laughs> but not so ironically. You nailed what these predictions would be. So I w- I really want to touch on these, maybe see how they've 
evolved. The first trend was related to retail and focused on delivery reimagined. You mentioned adopting the innovation happening right now and delivery will become a leading competitive advantage for companies and dramatically change consumer purchasing behavior. Talk to us about how you've seen that prediction evolve over the last year and maybe future predictions related to that. Yeah. I mean, Jessica, think of you know our world today, whether you're driving into a an open air parking lot uh, um, from Sephora to Bed Bath Beyond, Walmart, Lowe's, whatever it may be. Can you think of a time today that you were driving into a parking lot that you did not see this big sign that says reserved for pickup customers? Right. I mean, as little as two years ago, I would even argue 18 months ago, mm-hmm. it was still like, are we going to keep these? Are we still going to make this happen? I mean, it was maybe maybe and so now think of the infrastructure and the parking lots that are there and the things that are happening in the store uh there are a few people holding out saying i'm not so sure that's going to stay i would argue it's no longer temporary signs these signs are now in the pavement Mm -hmm. okay locked in metal secure yeah Uh, they're they're here to stay so i think part of that that hypothesis or future vision of where stores and how things are going to evolve, when you start seeing permanence there, you're like, huh, that's different. Now, in the new aspect of it, and this happens close to my home, there is a uh, a blue little, almost like a, a food truck near this neighborhood market in my home, and they're having drone deliveries. Mm-hmm. Again, this is not in Manhattan. This is not in Seattle. I mean, this is not in an urban, this is in a rural area. And so now you're thinking, gosh, are they really going to use drones to deliver. Uh-huh. Yeah, this it looks like a pop-up today, but imagine now we're sitting here a couple of years from now and instead of this little pop-up, there's actually a little miniature helipad on store property and you're like, "Oh my goodness, that's here to stay." So, those right. are the types of things that I was surprised to see as many tests and learns becoming permanent. Now, you and I both know is it 1% of the volume, 10, 20, 30. But the point being, the permanence part is the piece like, wow, they're they're all in now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, I actually, I just had my groceries delivered right before we got on this call. <laughs> So it's it's certainly there to stay. And I think, you know, so many companies are coming alongside Fortune 500 in this group and helping to support those efforts. I know we had Easy Bins on the show recently. So they kind of yeah. talked about some of the grocery delivery services that they provide and right. how that's really something that's here to stay. So I think you're totally on the money on that one. Love what James is doing in Easy Bins. Great concept there. For sure. You also talked uh, about the evolution of physical retail space, which you're kind of speaking to that a little bit. You know, I'm anticipating that this impact on retail has influenced industries that we wouldn't have fully understood even a year ago. What have you seen in the trends related to brick and mortar today and maybe how that's shaping the future of supply chain? Yeah, so let's speak to the the, the aspect of the supply chain model. And, and you could Google this. There's enough reports and people are looking at this saying, gosh, there was a day that your hub and spoke was a warehouse hub and stores were spokes. Right. It makes total sense, right? And now with in-store pickup, other delivery methods, you realize, wow, actually the store now becomes a mini hub and you're actually sourcing things out of the store. Well, for the first, I don't know, two, three years of this concept and really the last couple of years with the, the COVID pandemic, you started realizing stores couldn't maintain 
the processes without the right facility change. And so surprise, surprise, the nail salon is now turned into a staging area. Mm-hmm. The Sam's Tire Center is now minimized. So you have a staging you know, area. So you're like, wait a minute, I now have to change infrastructure. Now, practically speaking, you and I don't see the financials, obviously, but mm-hmm. remember that storefront that had the nail salon, that was just real money coming in and profit because you're leasing that space. Now that space has to be dedicated to online grocery pickup and delivery. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a game changer. And so do I pick from the back room? Do I pick from the shelf? Well, if I pick from the shelf, do I do it at night? Now I have to worry about staffing. I mean, all those are major major logistics changes. And I'm and I think Jessica, if we were having this conversation five years ago, most of the conversation still would be from the hub of the warehouse to the last hundred feet to the shelf. Now we're talking about the warehouse is the shelf and the Mm -hmm. last 15, 20 feet that gets to this staging area. And that's really, you know, interesting. And then you start looking at the, you're shopping in location A and I'm surprised again, maybe I shouldn't be, of the number of signs you see that says, don't see it here, buy it online. Mm -hmm. Don't see the size you're looking for, buy it online. So Five, 10 years ago, online was important, right? It's coming in. But now you're looking at it's that you're now having the brick and mortar engagement such that it's now a part of the conversation. And I think that's why you see companies like Walmart with, you know, Tom Ward and how they're putting things under his umbrella to say, you can't treat us separately and you can't have buyers and merchandisers. Well, that's the, you know, the dot-com department. All of this right. now is changing underneath. And the reason that's tied to supply chain is that a store can't handle it if you're just pulling out of the back room and the shelf. It's not built for that. So it'll right. be interesting for us to see, are you going to continue to use nail salons? Are you going to continue <laughs> yeah. to change other things? Or will you see back rooms begin to change? Are you going to mm-hmm. see maybe a pop-up scenario happen to the outside in the parking area that becomes this new hub and pickup? That's going to be really exciting to see because it's still temporary in nature, mm-hmm. but you can tell it's almost ready to become permanent. Yeah. Mm, that's going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah. And speaking of something, I think we've heard a lot on the show as it pertains to this season um, that you also predicted, you know, deselection is the new King, which, you know, we've all seen a reduction in SKUs and getting back to the basic. How has this been impacted via innovation, you know, that we're seeing in supply chain as it relates to e-commerce today? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you look at the old school aspect of things. There was a day that uh, if you were a supplier, you would hear this term like never outs. There are certain SKUs that can never be out of stock. Well, that's really come full circle again to say that, yeah, I used to have 10 items on the shelf, various sizes and flavors. Mm -hmm. And now by default, because of supply chain and other issues, I've kind of getting back to that never out. Uh, And I don't, I don't want to speak as an expert here. So this is one of those, you need to have the right people on the next session. You have this, right? Yes. <laughs> um, but Walmart even comes in and says, we're going to talk about item swap. Mm. And the Walmart item swap concept is, hey, if you can't make it and you're not there and I've got another person coming in, what is that going to look like? Well, if you were a supplier, you weren't really worried about that because the next shelf set might be six months later. But now they're like, no, I might make that decision today. Mm, or a mm-hmm. few weeks. So the technology is coming in to say, 
I know statistically as I'm forecasting what's going to happen, you're telling me you're not going to be in stock until X. And instead of spreading out your never out SKUs across to cover the items you don't have, I might just very quickly swap out your item. You're like, what? what? Yeah. So you can't do that without really sophisticated POS and technology to make that work and forecasting. Uh, again, two or three years ago, no one in replenishment was worried about this conversation because right. you talked about it twice a year. Now, if I'm a supplier or vendor looking at retail and I have supply chain issues, I'm one step away from being out. And that would not have been the case a couple of three years ago. So I think that's just kind of interesting. Even the fact that, you know, Walmart calls it something. Mm-hmm. But the fact that yeah. it's been named, get back to that permanence conversation, Jessica, when someone gives them a name, you're like, oh my goodness, that's not a three-month thing. That's now a permanent thing. I better figure this out. So so those are the kind of things as we read kind of the tea leaves, right? You know, what's the tea? You, you start to understand, gosh, that's hinting at or telling us there's some permanence in nature about what's happening. That's a great insight. I love that. So I'm very excited. And I, I think this will take up maybe a little bit more time on the, on the show to talk about uh, the latest launch at Field Agent, you know, your new platform called Plum, which your team is coining the world's first B2B retail solutions marketplace. Um, tell us about the power of this self-service e-commerce interface and how you see Plum solving some of the challenges for retail solutions. Yeah, I think part of it comes into the uh, kind of hypothesis you have or thesis you have on how people shop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Walmart.com and, you know, Amazon and others have really figured out that B2C engagement. And then you start looking outside of consumables and then saying, gosh, uh, how many, do, do you have a friend or do you know someone that's purchased? And this is for you, Jessica. Do you know anyone that has purchased a car on a site like Vroom? Oh, 100%. Okay. So imagine five years ago, someone saying, I'm just going to buy a car, click, click. And they're like, what? You're not going to drive it. You're not going to check it. You're not going to drive it to the, oh, no, no. I did the Carfax. So I know the details there. Right. I self-selected, self-educated. And I bought a used car for $40,000 or I bought a Tesla for $80,000. Our parents would say, you're out of your mind. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. so, so the premise behind that is, We've moved along the path of an, a B2C conversation that says, I'm going to .com and I'm going to buy a TV. I self-select, I look at ratings review. No one in their right mind today would say, click on the TV and ask for a salesperson to call you so they can explain why you should buy this TV. I mean, that would be one of the dumbest conversations we've ever right. had. <laughs> well, for some reason, that B2C concept hasn't quite translated into the B2B world. Mm-hmm. Because the B2B world says, well, if you're going to make a $1,000 decision or a $5,000 or a $50,000 decision, I need to have three meetings, you know, four phone calls. I need to have join up, start up. And then three months later, I finally have made this purchase. Mm-hmm. What we see, and, and, and Jessica, this is really in your, uh, your genre, your, your age and kind of your demographic coming up. In the B2B world, you're asking the hard questions why can't I have a B to C experience buying a B to B product? And that's right. really what we dedicated our COVID time in de- de- designing Plum. Mm-hmm. We said, let's take all the features and aspects of a B to B engagement. And why wouldn't a supplier be able to come into an Amazon website? We're calling ours Plum. Mm-hmm. Go to that marketplace and say, I want to self-educate and self-select and buy ratings and reviews. 
click, click, go to cart. And within hours, I have ratings review on my site. As opposed mm-hmm. to click, get an interview, talk to a salesperson, two, three weeks later, execute. And then you're like, well, that, I guess that makes sense, right? And so, so you start to play out that premise that says, yeah, but Rick, you don't understand it. My business is so complex. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's a product. You need a ratings and review, and I can do that for you. So we took our original thesis early on of solutions at retail, mm-hmm. and we knew we would have amazing coverage, cost, and speed. Now imagine you have a problem at retail, and you're saying, well, who do I call? Do I call an agency? Do I Google this? You're like, no, no, no. Go to Plum. And what's your problem? You said, well, I've got a new item. Great. Do you need help with merchandising? We can solve that. Mm-hmm. Maybe you need help with sampling. We can help you with that. Gosh, right. I want to understand some consumer insights. We can help with that. Never talking to a soul. So that's the original thesis that we have. We again, spent the last two years building that out. Mm-hmm. But I think the other aspect of it is that if you look at the speed at which retail is operating, you and I both know this in, in, in kind of intuitively. Mm-hmm. By the time I have the meeting, it's too late. Right. So when I go to the marketplace and I want to buy X and I was at a a meeting some time ago and we had an issue with uh, um, the remote to make the slides move forward, whatever it's called, the little, whatever it's called. The the person got online, went to Amazon, Amazon delivered in one hour. And before our meeting started, we had the remote that we needed to project. Like, oh, my gosh. Well, that's crazy. Now, imagine you're in a meeting and you leave the meeting and your retailer says, I need to know what's going on in this region, or I need to have ratings re- or I, whatever I need. You know, like I can just open up my MacBook, click, click, solve in a matter of hours. I've got everything solved. So that only works, obviously, if you've got the infrastructure. But the thesis behind it, Plum, is that why wouldn't you expect the same quality and the same responsiveness, the same frictionless environment? When I go B2B, why does it have to be so 1970s in B2B Yeah. when I've got this 2022 engagement in B2C? So that's yeah. been the exciting part about us laying this out. Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, I, there is nothing more annoying than going to a website and having to submit your email to receive a demo. <laughs> you know, but, I mean, but, it's it's try, but try to give the money. I, right. I, I had a phone call. Um, gosh, Jessica, it was maybe two or three weeks ago. We were, we were looking at software A. And I said, try this out. So the person that was doing our internal shopping, we knew what we wanted to buy. We we self-selected, we looked, we understood what we wanted. I said, try to buy it. So they hit the link and said, hey, I want to talk to this one. said, yes, I want to sign up for this. And so the sales development person says, great, let me do a pre-sale. So 20-minute conversation said, yeah, can I buy it? Oh, no, no. Now that we've assessed you, I'm going to connect you with my account executive. Right. We go to the account executive. So, hey, can I buy? Oh, it's great. Glad that you want to buy. Uh, why don't we schedule a meeting next week and you send me some information and I'll come up with a price next week. Click. Great. Oh, it's great. Now that we're making this happen, I'm going to connect you with my client success onboarding person. I mean, Jessica, it was exactly what we thought. And right. I just wanted to pay someone $1,200 and they would not take my money. They made me go through three weeks. Plum says, can you really ex- ex- imagine a day where you're buying a consumer product and I make you wait three weeks? Right. Well, why have that same? Anyway, I'm, I'm repeating it, but that's the excitement we have. And so now our third-party providers that come on and our, our uh, clients are saying, gosh, it's easier than I thought. Self-selection makes a ton of sense. And it's been mm-hmm. really, really exciting. 
That's so exciting. So tell me about the clients that are engaging with Plum. Uh, so what's interesting from an audience standpoint, uh, we'll have retailers that will come in and say, I want to do something really, really quick. Uh, we've had everyone from Fortune 100 brands down to mom and pops. Um, we know that from a volume standpoint, there'll always be a percentage of the population that says it is a complex problem and I really need to assess how I can make things happen. So we know that's going to be the case and we still do amazing custom work, mm -hmm. uh, but we've been pleasantly surprised of having, again, Fortune 100 CPG company A saying, gosh, I've done it the first time. Rick, I, I love your team. I really love your team, but I, I really don't need to talk to anyone. I'll just log back in and hit repeat, and I'll do this all day long, every time I have a problem. And they're like, gosh, that really was a good experience. That's awesome. That's so great to hear. Um, and I, I'm sure for all of our entrepreneurs listening in, uh, a very insightful tip to head over to Plum, for sure. Um, and then perhaps one last question related to supply chain. What are you most excited about regarding the future of supply chain technology um, and, and kind of how that is impacting retail and e-commerce and all that? Yeah, I, I think part of it is also tied to that B2C piece. Uh, it, it's yeah. the Amazon effect of B2C to B2B. But here's, here's a good example for us. Um, I, I think in the delivery world, supply chain world, it has taken way too long for a large provider of transportation to have the same user experience that FedEx and UPS has for consumer deliveries. Mm. And I think you're finally seeing, here's your text message and it shows you where your load is. You can finally click on a bill of lading. You can finally click on a, you know, an invoice number and finally track your, I mean, that technology has been on the consumer side for so long. I think you're gonna continue to see that change such that I think you, you're gonna see that more of the dashboard of the future that shows all of my loads where everything is in transportation to the point, and again, you and I would argue, this is gonna take longer than everyone thinks, but <laughs> when I start looking at RFID and other things, mm -hmm. now imagine that B2C experience of now I can actually say, I wanna go down to this specific UPC and this code, this code date of product, and I wanna track the RFID, and I could literally see where it is. As opposed to today, we're still dealing with reports and run the report and I can give you some assessment. We're really, I think we're on the tipping point of opening up your phone, clicking mm -hmm. on an app and saying, I want to see where the blue flavor that came from this plant, I wanna understand if this new item is on shelf and I can now see a hundred points of distribution that shows me 80% is on shelf. I don't mm. think we're that far away. Now, we can do that today at the DC, but why can't we do that? Because Amazon can tell me with a picture that the product's on my doorstep. Right. It's, it's right there, Jessica. So mm -hmm. I don't see why we can't be there now. We would argue, you know, Rick, there's thousands of stores, there's thousands of locations. That's not the point. But the point is, we should have that same experience. I think the people that are first to market with that experience are going to get a new demographic of people that are buying B2B services saying, I love what you're doing and I appreciate the pricing, but your technology and tracking and understand and validating and showing where my product is in the supply chain is worth possibly the additional price. Right. It's possibly worth even changing providers. 
because mm-hmm. that technology service is happening. So I think RFID is part of it, but more importantly, it's the tracking aspect of where the product is. And it's going to be exciting to see what happens there. Oh, it's going to be super exciting to see. And I think we, being in Northwest Arkansas, get to see some really credible innovations around this space every day, um, just because we're so close to all these amazing industry experts in this space, including yourself. So we're going to transition into some Endeavor segments as we close out the episode. This has been so much fun, by the way. I'm like thoroughly enjoying all of your insights here. Um, The first of which is our call me crazy moment, uh, which is uh, the founder of Endeavor, Linda Rotenberg has always said, call me crazy, crazy is a compliment. So we like to ask each guest on our show, what has been your call me crazy moment? (laughs) It it is a little bit of a a broken record tied back to the plum, but call me crazy, but there's nothing doing under the sun. Uh, I have to remind most people that work for us today that as little as 50 years, I'll call it, it 75 years ago, Sears Roebuck sold homes from a Sears catalog. Yeah. You could buy a house from a catalog. And did you know that JCPenney, you could buy apparel without trying it on? You're like, oh, there's this really cool thing. Zillow allows me to do this. There's this really cool thing. Amazon allows me to buy apparel. And I, I don't even have to try. Like, There's nothing new under the sun. It's yeah. just been repurposed. And so when we start talking about Plum, my team was like, you know, you're right. Sears really was first. Now they didn't. Listen, they didn't jump on the technology bandwagon. Right. <laughs> uh, but JCPenney really was first with apparel. Yeah. And Amazon took the technology and drove it. So shame on us, which is my call me crazy. I say, call me crazy, but there's nothing new under the sun. Plum is nothing new. We're just using technology to do something that's already happening over here. So that's been really fun. Yeah, I love it. Um, and a few rapid fire questions. Name a company and CEO that most inspires you. Uh, Henry Kastner, he's the founder and CEO of Sovereign's Capital and a faith-driven entrepreneur. Great speaker, amazing guy. He started a couple of really good companies, but it's been really exciting to see what he's doing. Awesome. What are you reading or listening to right now? now I'd love to say I was an avid reader. I'm a decent reader. I'm an avid podcast guy. Okay. Well, that counts uh, so, too. Yeah. Uh, so listen, uh, the founder of Terminus, uh, an ABM, you know, marketing, uh, go to market strategy. He's got a podcast that's called the move podcast. Okay. It's a daily podcast. Amazing stuff. Sangram is so cool. And if you're in the go to market world and trying to understand what it means to have a, you know, problem market fit to a product market fit to a platform market fit to understand what it means to really go execute, go to market. It's an amazing, amazing podcast to listen to. Amazing. I'll have to check that out. I, I don't think I've listened to that one. So it's on my yeah, list Sandra, now. It, it originally was called Flip My Funnel. Okay. And he it was on for four years and he changed it because he wrote a book called Move. So surprise, surprise, you wrote a book. You have to change your <laughs> podcast. Uh, but it's been really, really good. And his guests are just phenomenal. I mean, you'll get the the founder of HubSpot on there talking about you know their journey and how they changed. So great guest and great content. Awesome. Okay. Um, what's some of the best business advice you've ever received? Yeah, I think one that we're dealing with today, and, and I, I've talked to enough um, potential entrepreneurs or people who want to be entrepreneurs, even business folks, that if I've learned anything over my last five, 10 years of, of entrepreneurship has been, you have to learn to edit. Mm-hmm. Editing is so, so hard. And the premise behind that is that you've got to create rails. And if you stay within your rails and you avoid chasing shiny objects, then you won't be a solid C student on 10 things, 
you'll be a solid A student on two or three things. And I think going deep within the rails, learning to edit those opportunities down uh, is really, really difficult to do. But those that have done that, in our case, if, as we've learned to do that, I mm-hmm. think it pays huge, huge dividends uh, from a focus standpoint. Yeah, well, that, I think that's just uh, that's life advice, too, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> that's amazing yeah. life advice. <laughs> but you can have 10 hobbies. You know, you can be that person. Yes, or you can yes. say, well, I really like to hike and I like to bike, but do I really need to do these other 10 things? And there's a, a season for that. But eventually you're like, no, this is kind of what I really enjoy. And, and editing makes sense. So, right. uh, but it's really hard to do, yeah. especially an entrepreneur that's getting started that says, but Rick, I'm so good at these 10 things. And I've got 10 people asking me to do this. Why wouldn't I say yes to everyone? I said, there is a season you think you can do that, but over time you have to edit because you cannot scale 10 shiny objects. You could scale two or three or one, but not 10. It's great advice. I'm going to go take that personally and uh, edit my life. (laughs) There you go. Editing. Deselection, right? Right. Deselection. I love it. I love it. What a great, great conversation. Rick, thank you so much for joining us on the show. This has been such a pleasure talking to you. It always is. We're so lucky to have you in the Northwest Arkansas region. Um, And I look forward to following the success of Plum. This is so exciting. Thank you so much, Jessica. Can't wait till next time. Special thanks to Rick for joining us on the show today. For more information about this interview, head to our website at themultiplieraffectpodcast.org. We will see you next week as we continue to rethink supply chain.